if we asked everyone to list their favorite New Testament characters, and you can't cheat, it can't be Jesus or Mary, um, your favorite New Testament characters, who would you choose? And people would immediately, I think, would think of Peter, and they would think of Paul, they would think of the other apostles, they'd think of Mary Magdalene. And then individually, there would be obvious standouts, um, the great Peter Apollos, Father Kevin, and sadly, the short accountant, Zacchaeus. Uh, <laughs> so uh, we would have lists of people that would be pretty predictable. But I'm willing to bet that no one's list would have Martha. Why not? Well, most people know Martha from a story in Luke's Gospel. Remember, Jesus is visiting their home, and Martha's busy doing everything, and her sisters are talking to Jesus. She finally says, Lord, could you ask my sister to help out? And he says, Martha, Martha, you're too busy. Only one thing's important. Your sister's chosen the right thing. Leave her alone. Okay. This is not something you want to be known for. This is uh, Martha's claim to fame. But I've got to tell you, she's near the top of my list. She's one of my great heroes. And why? Well, let's take a look at today's gospel. Today's gospel typically is described as the raising of Lazarus, but actually, it's more about Martha and Mary, Jesus encountering Martha, Martha and Mary. And it offers us a great lesson about our own hope of resurrection. It's the culmination of a series of four gospels. The gospels we read today, and we've read the last three weeks, have actually read, read for centuries as part of Lent. That was the time when people were going to be baptized, prepared for baptism. And the church thought these four gospels were especially important of telling people the challenges that awaited them as Christians that they had to face. Remember, three weeks ago, we had Nicodemus. And with Nicodemus, we were told that conversion is really radical. It's not an add-on. It's not an improvement. It's turning everything upside down. It's like being born again. It's not compatible with anything else. Starting all over, it's being born again. So if you're going to be baptized, have no illusion about it. Your life isn't going to be different. It's going to be, it's, it's going to be completely changed, not just different. If that's not enough, two weeks ago, we had the Samaritan woman. And with her, we found out everything we thought about religion, about what we're supposed to do, was somehow not enough. We're told that God wants us to worship in spirit and in truth. He'll take nothing less, spirit and truth. Last week, we had the man born blind. And there, the lesson was, we have to become disciples, and that means bearing witness. The Greek word for witness is martyr, martyrdom. We'd have to bear martyrdom, witness, in face of opposition. He faced opposition. He said, all I know is once I was blind, but now I can see. He held on to that testimony. But as you see, things have ratcheted up. Today comes to the hardest of the four lessons that we have to confront the hopelessness of death with the hope of resurrection. We have, to, we have to overcome the hopelessness of death with the hope of resurrection. So from today's gospel, why is Martha so beloved to me? You know, Peter is famous for his confession of faith. Remember, they're sitting around once, and the Lord says, well, who do people say I am? And the disciples start going on, well, some say um, Elijah, some say John the Baptist, one of the prophets. But he said, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you're the Messiah, the Son of God. And Peter sa uh, Jesus says, flesh and blood have not revealed this to you. This is from my Father. This is from God. 
And Martha, look at today's gospel, makes exactly the same confession. You are the Christ, the Son of God. That alone should be enough for us to admire Martha, but there's so much more. Not to diminish Peter, but you know, when Peter makes this confession, the Lord then talks about his death, his approaching death, and Peter backs up to, whoa, not in the original Greek. Whoa, he's saying basically, he said, Lord, you're not going to, no, no, not that God forbid you die. The, the mere prospect of dying pushed him back. It was one thing to say, you're Messiah, the Son of God, when he faced death, whoa, a pushback. But here we have Martha on the other end. She makes her confession faith looking into the very pit of death. And this is not casual. Remember, we had Jairus' daughter is raised from the dead, but she had just died. And we had the widow of Nain. They were carrying out the body, but he was already ready to be buried. Not only was Lazarus dead, he was dead and buried. He was, his body was actually rotting. You know, that's why they talk about it. Traditionally in Jewish, you take it the fourth day, traditionally began corruption. He was actually rotting. That's why when Martha's hesitates, she doesn't want her brother to be embarrassing. If we open this, it's going to really smell. It's going to be very embarrassing. So she's looking at someone dead and buried and makes that same confession. You're the Christ, the Son of God. Now, why is that difference so important? Remember back in 2 Samuel 12 when David had a newborn child, a son, and he fell desperately ill. And David was beside himself. He tried everything. He fasted. He prayed. He, day after day, he never stopped. He slept on the ground night after night. He poured, he poured out his, his heart to God. He wouldn't let anyone come to console him. He insisted to keep praying, to keep fasting, to keep uh, disciplining. They were actually afraid when the child died at the end of the week. They actually tell us in Scripture they were afraid he would hurt himself. It was that bad. They were afraid he would hurt himself. Servants, no one wanted to be the one to bring that news, and David finds out by looking at them whispering in the back of the room. He figures it out. Something's the child's dead. So he asked them, is the child dead? And they said, yes. And David really surprises everybody. Instead of going off into tremendous grief, he gets up and asks for something to eat, and he starts life again. Why would he do that? Well, David tells us. He said, well, the child, because people ask him, we don't get it. You were so involved with this child, you tried everything, and now that the child's actually dead, you've moved on. And he said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, who, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me, that the child may live. But now he's dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. That finality of death. I'll never see him again in this life. You know, we don't have to go back to King David to face that kind of finality. Any of us of any age come to that point where somebody really important in our life has died. For me, almost 25 years ago, I still remember it like it was yesterday, we were sleeping, my wife and I, and she was next to the phone. You know how sometimes people call a, a wrong number in the middle of the night, it's sort of someone's drunk too much and they, they call and they have the wrong number. 
And sort of a ritual, she'd have this half-sleep voice saying, wrong, I'm to explain you wrong number and go back to bed. Phone rings at 2 o'clock. And I expected the drill, you know, ah, wrong number, someone drinking too much. But that's not what happened. She suddenly was wide awake. And she listened, and she had that, that look, you know, if you see the, the, the bad news doctor look. She had that look, and she handed me the phone, and she said, it's your brother Jim. And I heard him, I took the, and he said, your dad died tonight, a few hours ago. And I remember when I was a little boy, I had a dream that my dad had died. It was a nightmare, and I woke up, and I remember feeling so grateful, thanking God that it wasn't true, that it was just a dream. And I so wanted that to be true, and I didn't wake up, I was awake. And I had this immediate sense, again, like I would never see him again, I'd never talk to him, not even one word, not another minute, the absolute finality of death. David's words could have been mine, I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. Martha looked into that pit. That's where she made her profession of faith. She even had a right to feel a little resentful. Remember, it says the Lord delayed. They told him, we have, a, we have an emergency here. It said he took his time. When she comes, Mar Mary says the same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother never would have died. But she doesn't stop there. She goes on with faith. In the very faith of, face of death, she affirms her hope in the resurrection. She says, even now, I know, even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. But it doesn't stop there. That's good news, our resurrection. But there's a lot better news than that. Jesus goes on and he says, Martha was right to wait for the hope of the resurrection on the last day. Jesus says, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. There is a resurrection. Body and soul will be with the Lord for, forever at that, last, at that last day. But it's more than that. The Lord continues. He said, all who live and believe in me shall never die at all. All who live and believe in me shall never die at all. How is that possible? The apostles all died. All the great figures of the New Testament died. All the saints across the ages have died. Generations of faithful Christians have died. And many more may die before his appearance in glory. So what does he mean? Well, John's gospel, John loves signs. It's not the miracle per se. But it's, the miracle always points to something else. As we use the word sign. It points to something else. And there's a detail in the resurrection of Jesus and all the accounts that we have with, against, with the raising of Lazarus, it tells us something very important. Have you ever noticed in talking about the resurrection of Jesus, it says, Peter saw, this is John 20, Peter saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head. The burial shroud, the, the cloth and the head were all there behind. But look at today's story with Lazarus. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. 
Why the difference? In Jesus, all of those things are left behind. With Lazarus, he comes out of the tomb with them. Why? Why this detail? Lazarus is still bound by burial cloths because he's been raised, but he ultimately will die. He's still bound by death. He will die. But Jesus is unbound by burial cloths because he's been raised never to die again. Romans 6, 9, we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. So how is that good news for us today? Our ultimate hope is still the hope of Martha, that on the last day we will rise body and soul to be with the Lord forever. Come, Lord Jesus. That is our hope. But even now, in our baptism, our resurrection has begun. Death has been conquered. He says, Jesus says, all who live and believe in me shall never die at all. You see, Lazarus will die, but death has been transformed. Death is no longer an end. It's a beginning. Life isn't ended. It's merely changed. It's changed entirely. Yes, he will die like we will all die unless we're here when the Lord comes. But our death won't be an end. Now it will be a beginning. This is the promise of our baptism. Our resurrection has already begun. The, last, the raising of Lazarus is a sign of that fact. He has risen, but he still will pass through death. Not stay in death, pass through death to eternal life. Now, what does all this mean for our daily life and Christians? We sometimes don't we find ourselves feeling overwhelmed, feel defensive, we feel afraid, and let's admit it, even tempted to lose heart at times. Those are exactly the times when we can turn to our baptism and draw strength from our resurrection life which has already begun. You see, this, the Scriptures emphasize so much that the same Holy Spirit in Jesus is a gift to us. That's the Spirit of life. That's what means our resurrection begins now. So even now, we possess the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus. Romans 8:11. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Present tense. He's there already. The life has already begun. We won't receive the Spirit to get life. Remember in Ezekiel, he calls, you know, prophesy to the wind, the Spirit. We already have that life. It's already begun. We already have that Holy Spirit in us. Even now, the same Holy Spirit within us provides an inexhaustible source of life. John 7, 38, whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. We already have the foretaste of our inheritance. We already have a fountain of living waters within us. This Holy Spirit is already there. Even now, we already have a share. We've begun to share in God's own life. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Even now, the Holy Spirit of God is transforming us into the very image of God. 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Already the Holy Spirit is transforming us 
into that perfect image that will be with God forever. It's already begun. And even now, we can have firm hope in the resurrection on the last day because the Holy Spirit is our, in our hearts is our guarantee. We already have that Holy Spirit telling us it is true. Remember Paul, one of the arguments he makes, starting with 1 Thessalonians, he said, you know, if nothing else, I come to you and talk about a guy walking out of a tomb. This is not, he said, I don't come up with any persuasive logic, any great argument about this. He said, I'm not really a very good speaker. Yet somehow you knew it was true. That's the Holy Spirit. You knew, that's the work. Conversion is always the work of the Holy Spirit. Somehow, despite my inadequacies, you knew it was true. That's what we have. It says in 2 Corinthians 1, uh, 22, and if it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us, and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. We already have the guarantee we will know that life. So what does it all mean for us? The letter of Hebrews said, you know what the essence of our slavery was? That Christ liberated us the fear of death. That men and women can truly be men and women as long as they face the fear of death. In Hebrews 2.14 it says, through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. We don't have any need to be afraid of death. We can have true freedom. That's why Galatians 5.1, it says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. It's this freedom from fear which is the greatest witness we bring to the world. You know, we know the stories of the early martyrs. You know, people dying Sadly, it was not an uncommon thing. Executions were everyday affairs in the ancient world, in public places. People saw executed people all the time. It was no big deal. So why did Christian martyrdom so affect people? Matter of fact, we have reliable evidence of people actually seeing Christians being executed and becoming Christians on the spot. They wanted what they had. There was a joy assured that they wanted. They saw it, and they wanted it to be their own. It's incredible. It actually happened with the martyrs as witnesses. That's why they were witnesses. It wasn't just their dying, is they died in a different way that showed hope. In a way they knew they were going, and it, it couldn't fake it, they knew it was real. And being less dramatic, Edith Stein, who was a great philosopher in the 20th century, became a Carmelite nun. She was born into an Orthodox Jewish family, lost her faith, became an atheist. And what really turned her around was she had a lot of friends at the university, and one friend was a young couple. They just got married a few years before. And tragically, the husband died as a young man. He just unexpectedly died. It was a huge tragedy. She, she knew these people. She loved them. This was not hearing about. This is somebody she knew, she saw. And what's, certainly they grieve. But you know, in Thessalonians it says, we grieve, you know, it says, we don't grieve like those who have no hope. Christian grief is completely different. And she saw that household, and she saw that, yes, they were sorry to miss him, but it wasn't like the grief she knew. It was something profoundly different, and she wanted it. That was the witness that started around the path to God. That was the witness. So we have no need to feel defeated and overwhelmed, even in the face of death. We already have the Spirit which will bring us to everlasting life. It's already there in us today. The life, our resurrection has begun. It will be completed. Already not yet. It's already there. It will be completed. But it has already started. That Holy Spirit within us. 
You know, the tragedy when we feel overwhelmed is we're like somebody who's thirsty dying next to a fountain. Everything we need, all the strength, all, all the wisdom, all the courage is already there. Those, that fountain of living water, that spring of living water, rivers that Jesus said already is in our heart. So let us pray even now for the grace to draw, to go down into that well in our heart, to draw on those living waters. The God's Holy Spirit within us, the foretaste, the guarantee, the beginning, the start of our own resurrection. And let us pray for the grace to let those inexhaustible living waters come and, and water the driest parts of our lives and our hearts. Amen.